We give you glory and honor for it, God. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me. We're going to go to the book of Isaiah uh, today, and I want to preach under this title, The Difference the Spirit Makes. The Difference the Spirit Makes. Um, you know, one of the things I think that has been uh, most defining for me for this year is coming to truly understand, even to a deeper level, that what I trust matters. What you trust, it, it matters. And humanity, for, for all of our knowledge accumulation and technological advances, there has been a single thing that has consistently been present with us. And that is this, when hard times hit, we turn our own strength. We devise plans, or we turn to friendly allies to help us in times where we're fighting a battle. We will try everything until finally, without having any positive results, we'll then turn to God. It's like we get to a point of desperation we say, I've done everything that I can, so now I'm just going to have to go to a higher power. Some of us learn to turn to God more rapidly than others, and that's, that's a great thing. But even for us who walk and trust God, and we would say that we live in life of faith, uh, we can find ourselves at times where we're trusting in other things. And this year has really been one of those years where I feel like God has dealt with me about my walk with God and about how I trust God because there are all these external pressures, the things that we have no control over. So we get into tense moments and we eventually turn to God. Isaiah 30, 1 through 3, kind of gives an indictment to people who do that. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. God, God's calling this not trusting him, not turning to him as rebellious. And how many of us will admit we can be rebellious at times? I will admit there are times in my life where I can be rebellious, and I push back against what God is trying to do in my life. He says we add sin to sin. It's not enough that we make a bad decision, but we can layer those bad decisions and compound those sins in our pursuit of trying to make everything right. Verse 2 says, Who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame. And trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. Now, biblically, Egypt is shown as a shadowing of our world. It's always put in contrast to God. And it starts back in Genesis. Egypt is a representation of turning to the world or turning to flesh, turning to anything other than God for an answer, for help for saving. And 
what, he, what the Lord is saying here in a short way, he's saying, you didn't seek my counsel. You didn't follow my plan. You didn't trust in me. So because of that, you turn to the world and you turn to Egypt and you're trusting in the world. And that trust that you're exhibiting in the world, that's going to bring shame to your life. It's not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. It's going to layer sin upon sin and shame on your life that you're going to have to recover from. And this prophecy from Isaiah is directed at Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And they'd already turned their hearts away from God. This was a nation who was going away from God. And God is allowing enemies to come in and fight against them. And they're suffering because of their decisions and because that their heart is turned away from God. And God is allowing all of this to happen because he ultimately wants them to turn around and turn to him. God allows the conquering nation of Assyria to come upon them. Now, Assyria, if you go and you look, you study, you read about it, Assyria is a fierce enemy. This is not just a country that kind of occasionally fights whenever they need to. They're a conquering nation. They're intentionally going out and looking for countries to take over. They're warmongering. They want to fight. They're steaming for a fight. And over and over now, they keep sending threats to the kingdom of Israel, to that southern kingdom of Judah or Judea. And they keep telling them, we're coming. We've just got a little bit longer and we're going to be at your front door. We're going to be at your walled cities and we're going to be taking you captive. And Assyria is sending all of these threats in an attempt to have Judah surrender before they even arrive. And a lot of countries did. A lot of nations did. So think about this. You have this invading army. They're sending threats. They're a fierce foe. You've seen what they've done to other people. They've ravaged other nations. And now you're looking at them, and they're saying, we're coming for you. That's a tense situation. You can imagine that that lit up the headlines of the day. Fear was going wild in Judah. This war that they're facing is determined before it's even started because this enemy is far superior than they are. Why is this happening? You know that they had to ask the question, why, Lord? Why is this happening to us? Because of sin. They rejected God's repeated calls for repentance and they continued in their way to turn away from God and pursue sin, pursue other gods. They were doing something. God was trying to use these horrible times, these worst times, this pressure that was mounting against them to turn their hearts back to God. But instead, what Judah did is they decided that they would go to Egypt. They would go to an ally and they would bring Egypt and hopefully have Egypt come to their defense. In a way, Judah was adding to their sin. They turned to a nation that God hated. They turned to a people that God had marked as being not people that would follow him. 
And this is what we need to understand. God uses bad times to bring us closer to himself. We think of bad times, we think of horrible times, we think of times of trial and pressure as being something that we just want to get off of us. But in reality, God uses all of these times to bring us closer to him. And that's the only response. We see it over and over and over in scripture where God sends terrible things on people or allows trials to happen. And the response he's expecting is that they would come closer to him. What and who you trust matters. What and who you trust and who you turn to matters. It always matters. The way you handle the toughest days, it matters. That is what marks you in front of God. That's what God finds pleasing. If you have a humble heart and you turn toward him, that is what God looks for. He's looking for the humbled person. That's what he wants. What and who you trust matters. And it matters if you believe God. God says, put your trust in me. Even though it looks bad on the outside, even though the storm is raging, what is your response? God says, I've given you the land, go possess it. But Lord, there are giants there. There are great walled cities. Doesn't matter, I've already said it's yours. It's time for you to go possess it. But instead, they wandered for 40 years because they didn't trust God. God says, I've given you victory. But Lord, I look at the battlefield, I still see the enemy there. It's David, a Messiah type, having to come and slay Goliath when God had already said, the enemy's defeated. We do this sometimes. We look at situations and we measure it against what makes sense and not against what God is saying. God says, I'll deliver you from your bondage of addiction. But God, I, I just feel like I can't live without it. I can't go on. I need it. God says, I'll keep you and not leave you. We say, God, I, I can't see where you're working right now. I can't see what you're doing. God says, I'll be your provider. We say, God, it's, it's not happening fast enough. Is it possible that God invites us to trust him, but when we turn toward things that seem right to the rest of the world, what we're doing is we add sin to sin. God has allowed the trouble that's come to Judah's doorstep that they might repent. And he even tells them what's going to happen. Isaiah 32, 12 through 14. People shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. He says, you're going to look back at what's been lost. And you're going to mourn. And on the land of my people I will come, will come up thorns and briars. Yes, on all the happy homes in the joyous city. Because the palaces will be forsaken. The bustling city will be deserted. The forts and towers will become lairs forever. A joy of wild donkeys. A pasture of flocks. He says you're going to look at the past years. And everything that you remember being pleasant and fruitful. You're going to mourn for that. And he says, it's going to touch happy homes and joyous cities. It's going to touch everyone. The trouble did. It touched everyone. 
It affected the entire country. It affected all the people. No person was spared. The righteous and the sinful both experienced it. The palace and the impoverished, they both experienced it. The fortified and the tower, they both experienced it. It was widespread and affected everyone. Your race didn't matter. If you were there, you felt it. Your wealth didn't matter. If you were there, you felt it. Your career status, whether you employed or not employed, if it didn't matter, if you were there, you felt it. Your relationship status, if you were single, married, widowed, divorced, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you were there, you felt it. It touched everyone. Every single person could look back at a past day and say there were some better times. And they mourned what was lost. It makes me think about this year. Every one of us has been touched in trouble. By some form of trouble, we've been touched in 2020. Whether it's pressure from having to adjust on your job because all of a sudden what you signed up for is now being layered with new layers of work. I feel so bad for our teachers that are having to teach and be present online and present uh, in the classroom and just the pressure that they're feeling. People who are having to work at home and you, your kids are at home and, and everything else. There's just, there's layers of pressure. And there, I could probably go on and on. There's all kind of things that every one of us has felt in some time, some way this year. And I feel like I'm almost beating a dead horse talking about it, but it's just our present reality. But you know what else it makes me think of? It makes me think of sin. Everyone is touched by the results of sin. No one is spared. No one has ever spared the results of sin. Sin in some way has touched your life. Maybe it was your parents' sin that left you with a dysfunctional childhood. You felt abandoned, unloved, carrying the baggage of wounds from your childhood because of your parents' sin. Maybe it's a spouse's sin. The desolation of that's left behind after broken trust, personally being wounded by them. Maybe it's the economic disaster of their decisions that you continue to pay for. Maybe it's your child's sin. Watching the hurt rending, the heart rending hurt and effects of sin. Bad decisions, traveling a path you already know too well and you're watching them go down that same path and you desperately want to see their life changed. But you're helpless to intervene. What efforts you have made, they only enable worse things. And so you have to leave it in the hands of God. Maybe it's your own sin. You hurt people you loved, hurt people you cared about, you left are left now alone in a barren land marred by sin in which your thirsty soul finds no satisfaction because there is no satisfaction there because what once was a pleasure has become just another living nightmare of bondage. Why? Sin. Because sin touches each of us. It affects us in different ways. It's felt by princes 
in palaces and paupers that are in poverty. It touches every life and every person in this world. Sin touches everyone. No one is spared the results of sin. And sin takes what was once a pleasant field and turns it into a desolate wilderness. And at one time there was a fruitful vine. Now it's replaced by thorns and briars that just bring pain. That's what sin does. It destroys the land of your life, leaving a wilderness that only wild donkeys find joy in. Wild animals possess it. But there's an answer. God's promise to Judah was that in the midst of all of this suffering, there was still a reason for hope. There was a righteous king that would come, and if they'd wait and hang on long enough, Isaiah 32, 1 tells us, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. This was a prophecy about King Hezekiah, and Hezekiah would be the one who would bring Judah back to worshiping the one true God. He would be the one that would bring spirituality back to Judah. There would be prayer again and there would be incense burning and there would be worship happening in the temple all because of Hezekiah. And with Hezekiah, there would be a place of peace and protection. Verse 2 of Isaiah 32 says, a man will be as a hiding place from the wind. Referring to Hezekiah. It'll be a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest as rivers of water in a dry land, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. The people, they're going to feel the protection of a righteous king, hiding them from the wind, covering them from the storm that blows in, and their dry places are going to have rivers of water flowing. You know what Hezekiah is? Just as every other major righteous king in scripture. It's a picture of the king of kings, of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the true king of righteousness. He is the one true God. Jeremiah 23 and 5 tells us as much. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Jesus, the king of kings and the prince of peace, he's coming. And just like Judah needed Hezekiah, I want to tell someone today, you need Jesus. You need a righteous king reigning in your life. A king who looks at your mess and says, I can do something with that. I can work in the mess that you've made of your life. Look at somebody beside you and say, you need Jesus. We say it as a joke sometimes. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Man, that person, they need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We need a king who directs and speaks speaks into our life and tells us this is where you're going, this is what's going to happen, and we need to trust that king. But king Hezekiah was not really enough. He was not the only thing that was coming. It wasn't just the king, but it was what the king brought with him. Isaiah 32, 
12 through 14, going back to that verse, it says, People shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. On the land of, the peop of my people will come up thorns and briars, yes, and all the happy homes and the joyous city, because the palaces will be forsaken. The bustling city will be deserted. The forts and towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. King Hezekiah prophesied in chapter 30. But resolution is not brought until chapter 32. And it's in verse 15. Because verse 15 goes on and says, all of these things are happening. But until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest, that's when you get what you're looking for. The king arrives. But problems persist until the Spirit. That's the difference that the Spirit makes. Mourning continues. Looking back continues until the Spirit. Briars and thorns of life continue until the Spirit. The tough times in Judah last until the Spirit is poured out. And when he says poor, he's not meaning just a few blessings here and there, just a little bit of grace to get you by. He says, I want to pour it out. Pour it upon us from high. It's not from humanity. It's not from the effort of flesh. It's not something someone can give you. It only comes from God. It's from heavenly places. And it's the only thing that satisfies. He says a fruitful field becomes a forest. A wilderness becomes a fruitful field. What was barren and desolate is transformed into something fruitful. A fruitful field becomes a forest. What was already an improvement becomes even better. See, what we do is we often look at our wilderness we look at our wilderness, we look at our trial, we look at our season of struggle, and we want relocation. God, take me to somewhere different. God, take me to doing something different in another place. But God's not in the relocation business. That's not what God is in. God is in the restoration business. God is in the transformation business. God is in the business of changing lives and changing fields and taking what was a wilderness of thorn and briars and turning it into a fruitful field. Turning it into a forest. He'll take your wilderness, give you his spirit, and turn it into a fruitful field of blessing. You need Jesus. You need the Spirit. Because without the Spirit, the field just stays briars and thorns. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit was poured out. Peter, when asked about it, he says, this was already spoken, it was prophesied that the Lord was going to pour out His Spirit says, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my maidservants, on my men servants, and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. 
spirit is being poured out. And I'm going to tell you what will make the difference in your life is the spirit. Nothing else is going to satisfy. Nothing else is going to take what is a wilderness and turn it into a fruitful field. There is nothing else that's going to take what's already a good thing in your life, a fruitful field, and turn it into an even better miracle by turning it into a forest in your life. Nothing else can do that. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from anyone else. It only comes from Jesus Christ, and he is pouring it out. That's exactly what Peter goes on to tell them. He says, this God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received received the father the received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he poured out this which you now see and hear he said jesus is pouring this out right now the answer that you need is the spirit you don't need relocation you don't need your problems to disappear you don't need your trial to be gone you need the spirit of god working in your wilderness that's what you need if you've not received it, I'm going to tell you how you receive it. Peter answers this in Acts chapter 2, 38, 39. Peter said to them, repent. It's exactly what Isaiah was trying to get the people to do. You go and read the first part of chapter 32. He tells them to weep and mourn, to put on sackcloth, gird themselves with sackcloth. It's a picture of repentance. You repent. Baptize, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39 is important. It says, For the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And I'm here today, I want to say to someone, your life may be a desolate wilderness. It may be because of your sin, it may be because of someone else's sin upon you. It could be any number of things. We're all touched by sin. But that desolate wilderness of briars and thorns does not have to persist in your life. If you'll let God, if you'll let God pour out His Spirit on your life, that wilderness that you so desperately want to escape will be transformed into a fruitful field, a forest of miracles and blessing. Why? Because God is in the transformation business. He's in the restoration business. He's not in the relocation business. And every one of us, we suffer from the same thing. We want to run from our problem, run from our issue, run from our situation. Running does not resolve. Relocation does not put into a new, get you into a new place where it goes away. Sin follows. Because the only answer for sin is a king. And the king comes bearing a spirit that he's pouring out that you can have that will take that wilderness of sin and turn it into a fruitful field. I wonder if you'd stand with me. The Spirit of the Lord is speaking to someone right now. 
tried everything that the world has to offer. You've put sin upon sin. And God is calling you and saying, trust me, rely on me, lean into me, live for me. You keep trying everything else and you're at this place of desperation. You're looking at the wilderness that your life has become and looking back at days that seemed like they were brighter and better and saying, I wish, I wish, I wish. Mourning what happened in the past. God's Spirit is speaking to you today. He's saying, I'm here. I'm a king of righteousness. And when I sit on the throne, I'm going to bring protection. I'm going to bring peace. I'm going to bring all of the comforts of things you've been looking for in this world. And then I'm going to pour my spirit into your wilderness. In that desolate place, the place that only wild animals find joy. It's going to become something fruitful in your life. And it's going to become better and better with time. It goes from a fruitful field to a forest. Everyone's going to see they're blessed. I wonder if right now we could just take some time and seek the Lord. The Spirit of God is talking to someone. God, you see every person in this room, you see every person watching at home. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, God, that your spirit would move in right where they're at, begin to speak to them, talk to them, draw them, Lord, tug on their heartstrings as only you can do. God, that you have a promise for them, that you wanna fulfill that promise in their life by filling them with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. That you want to reign in their life, Lord, bring protection and peace like they've never had before. God, you want to take the wilderness and turn it into a place of beauty. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, let your spirit flow in this place. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's take some time and respond to the presence of the Lord. If you're here and you'd like to come to the front, we want to invite you to come to this altar. Come to worship, come to pray, come to thank God for what he's doing in your life already or come to ask him, Lord, you see the wilderness of my life. I need you to work in it. Come and ask him to pour out his spirit in your life. God, I need more of you. I need more of your spirit, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare your eyes.